0: Our last installment of our series today, yesterday I got about an hour to uh, watch some TV and I watched the Discovery Channel, Shark Week. How many of you have been watching Shark Week at all or you have before? Some of you have. Well, I got about an hour and I was, you know, it's always amazing to sit and watch that. But, um, you know, uh, the divers, they, they were down on the seafloor there and uh, trying to get video and shots of sharks. It was amazing. They, they brought out the chum in the water and isn't it amazing, it doesn't take very long and the sharks start coming in. You know, they can be a mile away and they can sense the blood in the water. It's there and they're making their way through the blood, the bait, the aroma that tracks the predators from a mile away. Um, it's also the best way to catch a shark, for sure. But I want to let you know that the enemy is the ultimate angler and ultimate, ultimate fisherman. His agenda is simple in John chapter 10, Jesus called out the enemy. And he did it there, and he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He comes to steal from you, from your marriage, from your friendship, from your career, to kill and destroy. Jesus minces no words. This is why the enemy is coming after you. This is what he wants to do. And so if you look at this, we're going to look in, the, in Scripture today and we realize in life we all deal with temptation. We all deal with trials, and we all deal with testing. Um, You know, one of the things that they don't tell you many times before you become a follower of Jesus Christ is the reality of the temptation that you and I will face as believers. The reality that the temperature of temptation will be ratcheted up The moment you become a believer, the moment you are born again into the family of God, we have to understand something. God tests us to make us strong. The devil tempts us to make us wrong. And we're going to look in the book of James. If you turn there with me in the New Testament, the book of James, I'm going to read some scripture verses to you from the half brother of Jesus who wrote this text. The word he uses for trial and the word he uses for temptation is the same word. However, the context is different. The fact is, temptation is a process, not an event. How many of you caught that? Temptation is a process Not an event. It's a process. Not something that just happens and appears out of nowhere. But it is a process that takes place. What do you do when you are tempted? Are you being tempted right now? Are you being tempted today? Are you going through testing right now? So what do you do? Well, the Bible says this in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 13. It says, when tempted, he says, it's not a possibility Not a strong probability, but it's a reality that is going to happen in your life. Temptation is a reality. How many of you know that to be true? How many of you are with me today? Temptation is a reality. We are going to be tempted while we live on this earth. And basically, temptations come in three zones. I want to talk about that quickly before we move into our main points. You've got material temptation, the Bible talks about which is the temptation of things do you have things or do things have you so have you ever been tempted in the zone of material temptation in your life can i see your hand yes we have some that raise their hand how about personal temptation the temptation to elevate, elevate yourself above others the temptation of pride the temptation of status i like status keep stats on me anybody brag Anybody ever fight with pride in themselves? How many? Yes. You're a little more honest in the first service. I want you to know that so far. Some of you are raising your hands. Thank you. Others fall in the zone. You think, well, it's the sensual temptation the Bible talks about. That is to look upon another person's body to use a God-given desire in a God-forbidden way. If you've ever been tempted in that way, raise your hand. Yes. The rest of you? Lies. (laughs) Lies. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Does, does a fish swim after a hook? No. No, the fish swim after the worm or the bait on the hook. The fish never go for just a hook sitting in the water. They're not that dumb. They're looking for something that they can eat to feed them their desire, their hunger, and it looks enticing. And that is the word that is used throughout this book in the book of James when it comes to temptation, that it is enticing. So these are three zones where you're tempted. In other words, these temptations will be an effect in your life, especially when you bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, especially when you are born again. What to do with temptations? I want to help you with this. More importantly, the word of the Lord wants to help us with this. And if you're taking notes, what do I do when I'm tempted? The first point is recognize the source of temptation. He says in verse 13, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. When tempted, he's saying nobody should say God is tempting me. That's what it says. We shouldn't blame God for the temptation that we are going through. Listen, God cannot cannot, and does not tempt. If God tempted you and me, that would mean that God has to be tempted before he tempted you and me. If that were to take place, God would cease being God. He would cease being who he is. So God does not tempt, but he does test, and he does use trials, and he allows temptation But it doesn't come from him. He can use anything, great things, catastrophic things. And he does that, and he does, and he's promised to give help to those that are called according to his purpose and his agenda. But don't ever blame God. It's God, oh, that brought me into this temptation. It's God. He's been tempting me for so long. It's God tempting me. No, God tests us to make us strong. The enemy tempts us to make us wrong. When tempted, don't say God did this. Look at verse 14. But when each one is tempted by his own what? Desire. When each one is tempted by his own desire, can you say desire? Desires are God-given. I want to just help you with this. Desire. If we do not have the desire for food, we would die. If we do not have the desire for rest, to sleep, we would die. If we do not have the desire for procreation, we would die desires are good, desires are divine. We're tempted though, when a God-given desire is used in a God forbidden way. How many of you are following me? Say amen. When a God-given desire goes haywire, it is going to be catastrophic in our life, for sure. So we look at this and we see James, the half-brother of Jesus. What's amazing is, as he's speaking inside of this, you think, well, there's a shift that he, he goes through. It, it looks not normal to say, look at this and say, well, it. He's shifting his language. He changes the subject out of nowhere. He talks about fishing. He talks about enticement. He's talking about the enemy being the ultimate fisherman. And now we're going to see he talks about childbirth. Childbirth and fishing? I mean, really? Do these things go together? You mean the enemy is trying to lure you out of the cover of protection? He's talking and then all of a sudden he's into childbirth? James says it fits together perfectly. Think about your will. Every person that's alive, every person in this room has a will. We all have a will. Think about your desire. For, for the desire to get what the desire wants, the desire looks to the will and says, hey, Will, will you? Hey, Will, how about you? And he says, I, yes, I will. The desire and the will, they get together and they have a bouncing baby the Bible calls sin. Every baby is beautiful to its parents. Isn't that true? That's for sure. We had some beautiful children up here today as we dedicated them to the Lord. But every baby is beautiful to the parents. To will and desire, sin is beautiful. The second one is you have to understand the process of temptation. It says, but each one is tempted, verse 14, when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So there's, there's some points in here I just want to look at, and then I'm going to just say them, and I'm going to talk about them. The first one is temptation. We've talked about that. Temptation that comes into our life that God does not bring, but the enemy does. Second is evil desires. There's evil desires that come. They come into our heart. We think, mm, you know, I want to do that. It's wrong. Then... James says there's the moving towards sin. You're moving closer to sin. You're going towards it. And then there's the act of sin that happens. And then he says, what it finally does in the last stage is it brings death. It brings death. Each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and he is enticed. Now, these are fisherman terms. In the original language, means to bait, to bring a fish out of cover that it's lured out, it is enticed, and so it's brought together. And this is what he's saying. This is the language that he is using inside of James. We're dragged away and enticed. And then verse 15, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. This beautiful baby called sin, and when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So the process of fishing is the process of childbirth. Your will and your desire must get together, and when it comes together, it has a baby called sin, that sometimes we're perfectly fine with just sin living in us, you know, and we don't think that we have a problem. You know, what happens is is you have been living, and I have been living in a lie. We've been doing this, and we think everything's okay, but it is not. James says what will happen is the will and the desire, they've gotten together, and now sin has been birthed. But here's the warning from Scripture. Sin has not reached puberty yet. It is yet to come. It is in process as you continue to let it go, you continue to allow it to entice you and to pull you away, which any person in this room and in this world is susceptible to that for sure. He says, listen, you look at this. He says, James says, the will and desire, they've gotten together. Sin has been birthed, but sin has not reached puberty. Sin leads to death because the book of Romans says the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin. There is a wage for each of our sins, and it is death, spiritual, then physical. But thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace and the mercy that we have through him. He's taken the penalty, and we need to accept what he has done as a substitutionary work on the cross for us. That is the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. In other words, the compensation for our conduct is condemnation. Some of you say, wait wait a minute, I didn't think there was any condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Remember that. For those that are in Christ, there's no condemnation. For those that are not in Christ, he says there is condemnation that he will bring upon us. The enemy is a liar, that's for sure. So it leads to death. You know, the devil's a liar, and he's the ultimate fisherman. He looks at you and me and says, oh, man, I've got them. I have got them. The hook is really in there. The temptation to lure, to come and say, I'm tempted, puts the hook in, the vice. And you know what? There's different things and different tactics the enemy uses. See, there's a recipe for different fish. Certain lures, certain flies, they'll, they'll lure different fish in. Certain sharks, that it will draw them in. What kind of fly is the enemy tying for you right now? Well, he knows your value in Jesus Christ. He knows your value to God. See, the enemy is coming after you and me because he knows our value and you would think, well, in some cases, that's maybe a good thing. Well, it kind of is. If you're feeling temptation, you should say in one sense, hey, that's good. I'm not telling you to play with it. But what you need to know is that you are getting ready for a test. You're getting ready for a test. This is a test. How many of you know life is full of tests? Every day is full of tests. Test. This is a test. This is coming. This is a trial. Because the weakest thing in the world is a virtue that has not been tested or tempted. Because if it's not tried, God really doesn't know. So really, the enemy, what happens is he begins to show his hand and what is around the corner in our life. Because, see, Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. And the Bible says that is his native tongue, lies. He doesn't really know all this is happening because God is greater. Notice, what does the enemy do? Well, he ties the lure, he he ties it seductively, he chums the water strategically, and then he casts aggressively. You know that I am after somebody else. Isn't it amazing how the enemy always uses different tactics in our life in different seasons? How many of you are with me today? Have you ever noticed that? He's not going to use the same tactic he did with you last year or yesterday or the thing that you're going through. He's going to use a different tactic. He's got a different lure. He's got a different hook. He's got a different bait that he's out there, and you see it in the distance, and you're drawn to it, and you see it. Man, it could be money. It could be a person. It could be relationship that maybe you think will bring satisfaction And what we don't see is the collateral damage that that will eventually bring upon our lives. The pain, the alienation that comes when we believe that lie and we believe in that temptation and we think that that will satisfy us, that we realize, man, it's going to be devastation. And when the devil brings us in and he doesn't release us, he has a trophy room that is unbelievable. Believers mounted on his wall. Trophies of what he has done to their lives. You know, I caught them in greed. I, I caught that guy in rebellion running from me. They've rebelled against their parents. They've rebelled against the law. They've rebelled. I got them. The devil's trophy room is amazing. He ties seductively. He chums strategically, and he fishes aggressively. Third, we need to learn how to overcome temptation. I want to let you know today that you can overcome the temptation in your life. Verses 16 and 17, don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That God does not change. He gives us strength. He gives you and I strength. And here's what's so awesome about that. God can give us the strength to leverage our desires in a God-given fashion. See, to look past the hook to the results of taking the fly, the results of the fight and the thrashing and the splashing, the results of going to the taxidermist and being mounted in the trophy room, in the man cave of the enemy himself. God has given us great things. He changes not. He is the father of heavenly lights. And that is the great news of temptation. And James comes along and continues and this next verse, and it seems out of context, out of nowhere, John, James 1.16, don't be deceived, every good and perfect gift is from above. So what is this about? We're, we're walking with God, we're hearing from God. We allow our desires by God's fuel, by God's octane, to live between his guidelines and his guardrails, and in that there is safety. Amen. That we realize every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from our heavenly Father, who does not change. So he says that you're tempted and I'm tempted, you're tested, I'm tested, trials come your way and my way. Also, you have to remember, he's saying I of there, remember the greatness of who God is. How do we do that? Well, by spending time with our Father, by having an intimacy, a relationship with him, by coming into the community like we're doing today of believers and receiving encouragement that we can only get by being around other believers by attending a pre fishing safety talk like we're doing today. <laughs> by, by regularly attending and coming. And uh, like, hey, watch out for that. There's the hook. Be careful. Somebody's trying to catch you right now. Why? Because the enemy is after you because he knows your divine potential. You have potential today. And many of you know that and you see that and many of you don't. But you have divine potential that God has placed inside of your life. And the enemy is after your potential and who you are in God. James, he talks about childbirth, verse 18, he, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of a first fruits of all he created. What I want you to remember is remember your birth order. Every, you know, we realize that I didn't have anything to do with my birthday. I just wonder how many of you here ever had anything to do with your birthday the day you were born? A no. That was up to your parents, right? It was up to mom and dad, and um, you know, they're the ones that did it with God's help, and they think, oh, my child is beautiful, my child is, all, they're the greatest, they're amazing. But when your will and desire get together, they have sin, and will and desire say, oh, sin is beautiful, what a beautiful baby. But, it, but it's more than just the day we were born. I was born March 6, 1970, and, you know, inside of that, there's some door dings on me. I got some miles on this body, you know. And if I'm relying on just me to fight the temptation, to discover my own destiny, I am going to be gravely disappointed when I clock out from this earth. Conversely, though, if you and I begin to rely on our second birth, and if you've had that, then you know what I'm talking about, our second birth, That we receive by being born again. Now I realize at five years of age that my mom, I was sitting on the edge of my bed and she talked to me about Jesus and she prayed with me and I received the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget it. I can go back and remember the very room, the bed I was sitting on, even at five years of age living in Ohio and remember that Jesus came into our life. If we would go back and remember that day. That it would bring such encouragement to us. I just wonder how many in this room remember the day that you became born again. Come on. A lot of hands. A lot of hands. That you go back and you remember your birth order. The day you were born is just the grace of God. It is powerful. We're not minimizing that. But it's the second birth where you and I have uh, uh, got a new beginning. A new beginning in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, You're a new creation, and God is now living in you to give you strength to overcome the temptations and to help you through the trials that you are going through as well. So we need to learn how to overcome temptation. And we do that by going back and remember, we're born again, and God has given us strength. Number four, fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. He's given us this birth. John 14:15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. That you realize this, that the spirit of God and the word of God get together, and supernaturally you and I are born again, and we are part of the family of God. Thus, we have an inheritance. What am I saying? We are trust fund babies. that you realize even with Paul, how many times he says, we have been entrusted, we have been entrusted as believers. We have been given an inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ that we realize that's powerful. But let me tell you something. When you and I begin to live our life in a different way and living for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you realize that every day, in every moment, you and I have been entrusted with something that costs God his son. We're entrusted with this to take care of it, to do our very best on this earth. Yes, there's going to be times of temptation. There's going to be trials. There's going to be circumstances that we're going to go through. But we need to be reminded to fall in love with Jesus every day, many times throughout the day, that where we are weak, he is strong. We are shark weak. I'm weak. But you and I can't fight it alone. That's why he's promised to give us victory in Jesus, that he's already won so we're fighting not for but from victory the bible says in 1 corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 there are 3 buts in this verse that i want you to look at there has no temptation but taken but such as common to man but god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're all that you're able but will with temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. That you'll be able to go through it. These are three big buts I want you to know inside of the scripture verse. You need to get. Anytime you see the word but in scripture, it zeroes out what the devourer has been called to bring against you. Look at it. You see all throughout the word, but God. They were going through difficulties and trials. The enemy army was coming, but God. But God. But God. That God comes to zero out what the enemy has tried to bring against you, to bring defeat upon your life, upon your marriage, upon your home, upon your children, upon your workplace, upon your potential. And there comes this, but God. That God will never put you and me, his children, in a situation that he will not give us the strength, the power to get out. So many times we feel, oh, I'm on an island here, and I'm the only one dealing with this, and it is wearing me out. Let me tell you something the enemy is very good at. He's very good at wearing you out. How many of you know that to be true? Prolonging the pain to wear us out, to wear us down. So they'll just finally just give in and say, I can't fight this thing anymore. Well, you and I can on our own, but we need the Lord's help. What I am saying is revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Talk to somebody about it. So revealing your feeling is the beginning of your healing. So talk to someone about it. That's why the church is here. That's why there's a community of believers. That's why we're here to be called to, to talk and minister and confess to one another. That's what the Bible says that we are to do. And many times it doesn't happen, but we're called to do it. So that why? So that what we sang about today, there can be healing. There can be healing. Now, I don't encourage you to go just share with anybody. I encourage you to share with somebody that is godly that has your best interest and will stand with you in prayer. But find somebody. That's why it's so important in community. That's why the local church is so paramount. Oh man, this thing is so strong. It's pulling me. It's learning me. It's like a huge tractor. It's pulling me. It's pulling me. I can't say no. I, I've got to take the bait. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to. And it's at that very point where we are tempted the most that we call upon the Lord that he can give us the strength to not give in to the temptation. You know, in our church, my right, left over here, in the back, all throughout this building, you see this in commercial buildings, there are exit signs. There are exit signs. It means you can leave the sanctuary through these doors. But when you follow the exit signs and leave, you're still in the building. If you walked out these doors or that door, you're still in our building the first exit sign doesn't take you out. If you're to leave the building, the first exit sign is not sufficient for that. It takes you outside of this part of the building. But it doesn't take you out of the whole building. There is another sign. That is the way exits work with temptations. We are told with temptations that we will have a way out. An exit will help us endure. Most think that The the exit God provides us will get them out of the problem immediately many times. God can do anything, but many times it doesn't work that way, that it is a process. The exit usually provided to us leads us to a hallway called endurance to continue through the testing, the trial, and even in the temptation. Where does the exit sign take you? It doesn't take you out, but it takes you through. You're going to eventually get out of that thing. But how many of you know that it just doesn't usually happen that quick? It takes you to the next exit sign, to the next place. And God has promised. He said, I will take you through and I will eventually get you out. But you got to trust me that I'm working in this situation. I'm working in your trial. I'm working in your circumstance. I'm working in the midst of your temptation. And today we can give the Lord the absolute most glory by saying, God, I call upon you for strength. I call upon you now because I do not have the power To do this, I need you. God has promised to get us through and to take us out in Jesus' name. Amen. He will do that for you. Hey, we're all shark weak, but God is stronger. God is greater. He will help us. Temptation, the Bible says, is a reality. What will you do with it? The temptations that are going on in our heart, what will you do with it now? What is God stirring your heart to do? Will you be obedient to follow after him today?